okay. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Um, welcome back to Vanessa on Films, the podcast where we discuss film and television news. Um, I am, of course, your host, Vanessa. This is episode 14, which is kind of crazy, just considering, like, that I've been to a get for this long. I know 14 isn't that big of a number in the grand scheme of things, but, like, I mean, when we defied it, it's been, like, yeah, like, over three months. I'm trying to do the math. Yeah, I think it's been, like, over three months. And, of course, I didn't have an episode last week because I was um, busy with TIFF. I went to TIFF. I, I was pretty much there for the first, like, five or six days. Um, I didn't watch any movies during that time because usually I've decided that, like, what I like best is, like, doing the premieres and, like, the red carpets. Um, yeah, if those first couple of days and then like later in the week when I watch movies but honestly like for the most part when it comes to like film festivals I I only watch like a couple um just because the way they work is it's so crazy in the sense that like most of them like most of the bigger movies have like homes already and are going to be released in a couple of months or even weeks sometimes so I'll just watch them on my own time like wherever they are premiering whether it be um a, a streaming service which obviously i would have preferred to watch it in the theater but like if that is an option i don't know anyways um and also like for the most part a lot of them are also premiering at like regular theaters in theaters and so i just i don't know i i think i like watching them without the film festival crowd because it is different than like a regular everyday movie going crowd also like the way TIFF works is that, like, the premieres and usually, like, the quote-unquote premium screenings, a lot of them are $80 and then they get resold for a lot more and it's, like, like, I'm being realistic. But anyways, yeah. Um, so I, I didn't record an episode, um, just because I was busy at TIFF and, uh, yeah, it, it just, like, I wouldn't have had time to collect the news talk about it like create my thoughts about what I wanted to say and yeah so I was like let's just skip this week which I don't think there's anything wrong with taking a break um especially since I am the only host for this it's not like someone else can kind of take over and uh do it so yeah I was just like let's not do this week let's focus on TIFF let's focus on you know having a little bit of a break being on King Street every single day for the next six days. And yeah, um, TIFF lasts from, I, I think it lasted from the 7th to the 17th. So yeah, it's about like 10 days long. And um, yeah, they have Festival Street, which is basically they close down a portion of King Street for the first couple of days of the festival. I think it's usually from like the Thursday to the mm, Sunday. So yeah, just like the first four days. And, like, that's really, really lively. Um, and then the rest of the days are still pretty lively as well. It just operates a little bit differently. Like, if there is a red carpet, um, it's usually, like, they don't close the street. They just make sure that they can stop traffic for a little bit. Um, yeah, so it just, it, it operates really differently. It's a little bit odd. But, nonetheless, I, I it's really interesting. This is only my second tiff. Yeah, it's only my, it's only been my second tiff just because I've explained this to people before. I've always really loved film. I've always, you know, lived in Toronto. But the thing is, is that I I I never really like understood how tiff operated. Like I didn't really know much about it just because I was younger, and it's not like I necessarily knew. Um, also, 
early days of the pandemic. Um, that's when I got my letterbox account and that's when things kind of just like took off. Um, and so obviously for the first like year or two, TIFF wasn't operating how it normally would. Um, yeah. So then in 2022 was my first TIFF. This year was my second. Of course, this one also operated a lot differently due to the strikes. Most of the actors were not present. It was mostly the directors, um, producers. And then, of course, when they got an agreement to promote their film, they would be there. Um, that's obviously... Yeah, like that that that's that makes sense. Like of course certain actors would be there and international people um and international actors and international projects were obviously present as well. And TIFF of course, I feel more I feel like more so compared to other film festivals does place an emphasis on international film. It's kind of in the name as well. But um yeah, so a lot of actors were there. It's just like Yeah. I guess, I guess just, like, I, I think, I think, like, when you look at it and you're like, yeah, this was a really, really different TIFF. Like, there were a lot of big name actors, of course, but, I mean, I mean, like, compared to other years, obviously not. And that's fine. Like, I don't necessarily think we always need to have the, we don't necessarily need to have the big actors show up every time. Because at the end of the day, like, I don't necessarily think it's about them like it's not necessarily about the quote-unquote stars and like seeing what they're wearing and then walking the red carpet it has to do more so with the film i just think it's important that they also be there because that does bring attention to the film um so there are layers to it but yeah i i think i want to like talk a little bit about my experience with the festival this year um just because i was there for a really yeah, I was just there a lot. And so I think it's important for me to just discuss it. So yeah, let's just, I'm just gonna like continue on with uh, me talking about TIFF. So yeah, um, as mentioned, it was really different. I don't know, like the, the, the lineup for films this year was pretty good. Um, I, I don't know. Of course, it would have been different if for example, the cast of Dumb Money was actually allowed to promote the film because I feel like that just would have got a lot more people talking about the film. The film has like a lot of buzz around it. I mean, it's pretty good. Greg Gillespie, like, I mean, for what it's worth, I don't necessarily think he has a bad movie, <laughs> but of course that's totally um debatable. But yeah, like I'm, I'm thinking of it in that context. Like I, I went to the Dumb Money premiere and it was literally just Greg like there was no one else there really and I'm sure like some producers were there or whatever but um it, it, it would have been so much different if the actors and like yeah like even the writers for other projects could have been present it would have it would have felt a little bit more whole um so yeah anyways I went from I think the Thursday to the Tuesday um so yeah I I I think it was a really good experience. I really love the festival street portion of it. It's always kind of messy um, just because there are people in the city that don't necessarily care about TIFF and they need to get from like, for example, like King and University to the other side of King Street. And so they always have to like cut through the crowd. And then of course, when on, when, on the days when Festival Street is open, they cl they close the, the, sh the 
the, the street is closed, but they kind of barricade it off um, to make it more accessible for the red carpets, which is kind of funny. Um, yeah, um, it's it, it's kind of like they add barricades. They add barricades around the uh, on the sides of the venue so the cars can come in and so that the directors or whoever for this year is mostly directors could come across the, the street to where the fan zones are. And this year, TIFF actually operated a little differently regarding fan zones because if you wanted to have a, I guess, like to secure your spot with a fan zone, you had to, yeah, what you had to do is you had to go early and grab wristbands for specific fan zones for the day. And I didn't do that for the first couple of days. And honestly, like, I don't think I even needed to. Um, it's just like, it, I guess it kind of secures your spot um, to get in early to the fan zones, which is just like a place where the fans can stay across from the venue. And like, maybe, of course, they're not obligated to, but like, maybe the, um, the, the, the actors, whoever will come across and like sign autographs and take pictures. I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but yeah. Um, so for the first couple of days I didn't, I still managed to get in and get good spots in the fan zone. Um, and then for I don't really remember when I started, but I think I started on the Sunday because Taika Waititi was going to be there for next goal wins and I really, really wanted, I like at least wanted an autograph from him. So I was like, okay, I need to like have a good spot in the area so or in the fan zone. So um, yeah, I went early and I got a response for a couple of premieres. Uh, I think on the Sunday, I also got wristband for Seven Veils, which um, it's a, the newest Egoian movie. Um, I also got The Zone of Interest, which is Jonathan Glazer film. Jonathan Glazer didn't come across the fan zone, but that's like fine. Um, the So I think some of the actors did and uh, the cinematographer, Lucas Scholl. So like, yeah, I, I think I just mispronounced his name, but he, he, he was like responsible for the cinematography in Cold War. And Wait, hold on. Let me let me look up my letterbox review for that film for a second. His name is Lucas Jal. Sorry, <laughs> I don't even think I'm still pronouncing that correctly. And I I I like look up how to pronounce. Oh, my computer glitch. My computer might be glitching a lot in this thing. But anyway, in this recording. But um, yeah. Uh, I always look up how to pronounce names, and like sometimes it still doesn't stick. Okay, I found I found my letterbox review for Cold War, which is really funny because like. I don't know. I, I think it's just interesting that this is what I remember from the film. This is what I remember of my review is, is his cinematography. So this is, I gave it three and a half, which like, I don't know, maybe that's a bad rating for this film. But, um, anyways, so I said, I didn't care about these characters at all, but the cinematography was perfect. Boom. Um, I also added something that said, not my last three films being black and white. I don't know. I don't really remember what I watched around that time, but, um, yeah, it was just cool being able to meet him. Like, uh, I, I believe he received an award from TIFF um, for his cinematography. And, like, uh, yeah, just, like, for his body of work. And so I knew he was going to be there. And so I was like, I need to at least get, like, some autographs from this cast. And so, yeah, like, um, I brought... I, I had posters for the first, like, two days of the festival. But, like, the TIFF posters that I got this year, the design was black. So I had to use, like silver sharpies and like those are just always a mess and 
<laughs> yeah, like, I don't know. But anyways, then I just got a notebook and I'm like, I'm cool with just getting a notebook signed just to have something, you know, and like, yeah, it was cool. I, I had a lot of fun regarding like, regarding like collecting autographs or not collecting autographs because a lot of people like, it's just always a mess. Like you never really know with that type of stuff. Like you never know if people are going to come over. You never know if they're going to sign. You never know if they're going to like, ac not, not accidentally, but like they're going to skip over you. Of course, not purposely, but it's like, they're just kind of going down the line, right? Um, that's kind of what happened with Nicholas Cage and Richard Linklater, but it's cool. Like, honestly, at this point, it's like, I don't really care. Um, uh, yeah, fan zones are always funny because, um, the autograph hounds are always crazy. Like, they have their, they have, like, what they, they have, like, eight photos stacked up of one person and, like, it's like they're two-sided so there's one picture on one side and then another yeah it's just they get a lot a little aggressive like one woman was telling me that like one man was like literally harassing her and like fully that's what happens a lot of the times and it's like i know that if i or like anyone else ends up fighting them <laughs> we're gonna be in trouble because like they're still gonna find a way to you know get that autograph either way and it's just I don't know. It, it's so crazy to me that, like, they're just still allowed into these fan zones, even though the people working there know how they are and know how, yeah, just, like, know what they do to, like, the other fans who actually care about the work of these people instead of, like, we're not gonna, like, get an autograph and sell it. That's not why we're here. We're here to, like, actually, like, yeah, whether it be, like, meet them or get an autograph, but, like, for ourselves not because we want to like sell it but anyways uh yeah i don't know it's kind of crazy but i really really like the premieres where they just weren't present that was that was fun um what else what else what else um yeah i i did get um taika's taika watiti's autograph kind of sucks that next goldman's kind of has really bad ratings right now um <laughs> or like bad re mixed reviews i should say um let's not get into that but it was funny because what happened was we were waiting outside princess of wales like in the fan zone and it was like across the street and i hear two of the workers saying he's coming he's coming from the bus because they had a next goal wins like promotional bus um outside the uh, uh like to the side of princess of wales near near bell light box and it was so funny because i heard them say that and no one else heard it except for me and i was like i started looking in that direction and then i see like um yeah like taika's like salt and pepper hair like walking towards there and no one notices it and i'm just like staring at him and then like i think i don't know it was like either me or someone else we just shouted his name and then he like walked towards the fans and i was lucky enough to get like his autograph which is literally an awful autograph it looks horrible but anyways um i mean he he literally went through the whole line in like two seconds which was interesting um but yeah i i also uh my friend and i uh michelle was kind of like my partner in crime for the weekend she was there just like chilling uh just yeah yeah, she was just, like, there with me chilling, and, uh, she wasn't there with me all days, but she was there with me, I think, for most of the days. Um, yeah, so shout out to her. Um, uh, she, sometimes, like, she wouldn't come into the fan zones with me. She would just chill, like, outside away from me, which was, like, cool. But anyways, um, yeah, uh, I, I was gonna go somewhere with this, and then I forgot what I was gonna say. But anyways, yeah, like, it was also funny because, um, I, like, showed her my autograph after from Taika, and she's like, what is that? Like, it was so awful. But anyways, 
yeah, I also went to the memory, um, the memory premiere. Jessica Chastain and Peter Sarsgaard were going to be there because, of course, they got an agreement to be there. Um, and it's a Michelle Franco film. And it, that's also been getting a lot of reviews. Peter won the Volpe for his performance. Uh, Jessica Chastain is kind of just like, I feel like everyone thinks of her as like one of the best actors to just interact with. She literally went down the whole line of the fans and signed everything as as much as she could. But she like before she could, you know, do that, she announced she's like, guys, I have four and a half minutes. Like we have to do this quick. And so she went down the whole line. She's like, I'm gonna start here and go down. Um, I I got her autograph. Michelle did too, which was cool. Um, and yeah, I got like a selfie with her. But it's so funny because like she's like, like it's like I was had to like lean over the barricade. But anyways, it was funny yeah uh she she was even it was like pretty funny too as well because she was like guys turn turn your phones to video so that i'm in everyone's uh picture because like then that way she could just sign and like you could kind of get in the the frame with her as she was like moving down the line but it was like so it was so chaotic and she was trying her best to like be calm and everything um and so yeah that was like really nice um but i feel like everyone has those kinds of stories with her she's just always trying her best to meet as many people as she can and sign for as many people as she can yeah i also got to uh, i i got a lot of other autographs uh like 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 i also got um a picture with pictures with other people as well but um yeah like for example ben barnes which i think we had a i think juan and i had a conversation about him being like one of my like crushes as a kid because he was just like in the narnia movies and so that was pretty cool um i'm gonna move on actually so that was more about like my fan zone experience and just like the experience of the festival itself uh i i I also want to i'm gonna talk about the movies that i watch and then i'll go kind of backwards which kind of like sorry but anyways um i i watched two films i got i watched wildcat which is directed by ethan hawk starring maya hawk and laura linney and it's about um flannery o'connor which she's a writer uh known for her short stories a lot of the times and like yeah so it, it, it was a biopic essentially kind of showcasing how she suffered from lupus and i don't know it just i think the reviews are really mixed on it but the thing is is that what kind of got me is that i didn't even mind the what they did is that they 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 showcased flannery like writing her stories and then those stories would be dramatized on screen i think that's the word yeah so they would like kind of show them show the stories um with different actors I think the only people that were really consistent were Maya and Laura, like, playing the different- some of the different characters in the short stories, and it's, like, I- I really actually enjoyed that. I just think that there's so much about it. I'm, like, why are they doing this? Like, the way- the storytelling is what I had a problem with, and it's just, like, I don't know. I like the performances. I don't know. It, It just- something about it didn't work for me, and honestly, like, I feel like I might need to rewatch it, um- but yeah kind of kind of not my thing i also watched north star with it which is also a directorial debut from from an actor so this is kristen scott thomas's um film it's i guess semi-autobiographical um it's about these three um 
sisters who come back to their hometown basically for their mother's wedding and uh yeah so her third wedding and then yeah it just like showcases how their fathers were um part of the military and then they each have their own thing um it was literally a hallmark movie and i've explained that to everyone that's asked me about it it was literally just like a hallmark movie but scarlett johansson was in it and it was like featuring big actors it it literally follows the formula of a hallmark movie it was a little bit more like i guess quote unquote risque um no that's not even a good word for it but it's like a little bit more pg-13 than a hallmark movie um so it was just like i didn't really know it was gonna be like that or else i probably wouldn't have bought tickets for it or bought tickets i should say for it it's just like like i don't know but i'm not mad that i watched it it was just like not a very good movie um the writing was so cliche everything about it was just like uh, god anyways but whatever i think i think it's a kind of movie that like my mom would just have a lot of fun with so i respect it for that reason and what else do i want to say uh there was also a letterbox meetup for members which was really fun i just got to chat with a lot of people um I-, I met a lot of cool people um it was just nice being surrounded by like a film community of for the most part younger people not to say anything of the older people that were there but i think letterbox is like really popular amongst like younger people and so it was nice finding that community that for the most part exists in toronto but like it's kind of hard to see if you're not yeah, like, I don't know. It's just really hard to, like, connect with the film community in Toronto if you are a young per- younger person. So, that was really fun. I had a really good cupcake. Um, I also met Devry Jacobs, which is... It, I, here's the thing. I, I, I really love, like, a lot of her work, and I'm a huge fan of Reservation Dogs, but I've seen her, like, six times, and I've never officially met her just because, like, I'm pretty sure... I saw her a bunch over the TIFF weekend and then she was at the meetup because they were giving out tickets to Backspot. So shout out Backspot. I'm actually really excited about that film. Anything that has to do with cheerleaders, I think is always really cool and interesting. And just like learning about the world of like cheerleading it is really cool. Um, Yeah, so they were giving out like tickets for that film uh, with the director. And so, yeah, like I've, I've always seen her but I've never like actually like gone up to her and spoke to her. So like I was just like having a conversation with her, which was really, really cool. And then I, 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 I've seen her at like other events before that I, and like I knew she was at other events before because like she's often at TIFF, like the belt light box. And so I think I saw her at the, the bottoms advanced screening that I was at as well. And so I asked her, I'm like, did you watch it? Like, were you at the advanced screening? And she was like, yeah. And so it, that was like fun. Um, it was just like cool to have a conversation with her. And like, she was so chill and she was just like talking to people and like, yeah, talking about her film, talking about like other th- things she's been in, which was like really, really cool. And yeah, so the letterbox meetup honestly was probably the highlight, like besides the whole like autographs of it all and stuff like that and even watching the movies even though the movies were bad that's still like an important part of tiff um it i think the letterbox meetup was just so really really cool so like overall tiff was definitely a success i I was just like taking i I, i'll take it as a win it was it was definitely different and i'm hoping that it could feel a little bit more quote-unquote normal next year um but 
I'm gonna move on. Uh, so of course I often open this with like a rant. I kind of just did rant, but this is more so a question. And I think this is a conversation that is really like prominent in discourse surrounding film and the industry, specifically like Hollywood right now. And I, I think I'm gonna just ask the question, then I'm gonna get into the news because I feel like they're connected. So my question is kind of what happened to all the movie stars. Before anyone jumps me, I want to say that I know that they kind of still exist. Like, they're still here. They're still, we're still capable of producing movie stars. It's just like, I feel like it's really hard right now for people to be like, oh, they're in this movie. I'm going to watch it because they're in it. It's really hard. I just don't think that's something that really exists anymore. And it's not because of the actors themselves it's because of the way the industry is operating right now and without further ado i'm actually going to get into the first piece of news and i'll connect it back to i'll connect it back to the question okay so netflix has actually acquired the rights to richard linklater's newest film hitman this premiered um well, it didn't have its world premiere, but I think it had its North American premiere at TIFF. So I actually got to see Richard Linklater. But anyways, yeah. So. So. Uh, yeah, like Netflix acquired the rights for 20 million. This film is starring Glenn Powell and Adria Adjorna. Arjona. Sorry. Whoa, I glitched. Um. And it's about a cop who basically, I guess, is undercover as a hitman. And yeah, I don't know. I think when reading that synopsis, I was like, this doesn't sound like a Richard Linklater movie, but he kind of he kind of does a little bit of everything when you really think of it. And that's what's really cool about him. But I don't know. I just didn't get the vibe that it was like, oh yeah, this is I could understand Linklater doing this. But I feel like I, I've heard really good things about it. And I feel like if it gets that sense of humor, like the Linklater sense of humor cracked boom, it's done. Um, but yeah, uh, Netflix acquired it. Allegedly, it's going to have a theatrical release, but at the end of the day, like Netflix theatrical releases are just so that they can be nominated or whatever for awards and stuff like that. There's, 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 there's logistics to it that I don't want to get into. But anyways, I think this is why I asked this question and I led immediately into this is that like, I feel like Glenn Powell and even, like, Adria, like, these are, like, two names that are definitely becoming more prominent. And it kind of sucks that this movie that could have been kind of, like, a building block for both of their careers is in the hands of Netflix right now. Let that silence sink in. And it's just, oh my god, I'm so tired. I saw the news and I literally screamed. And not in a good way. Like, it was... I was just like, this is so annoying. I don't... I don't... I don't like it. I, there's this, like, tweet that someone... Someone, like, posted, like, the Tony Stark funeral, like, image of, like, the people in their... The superheroes in their suits. And they're, like, white people when they hear a film is... Uh, has, like, a theatrical distribution. And Netflix is, um like responsible for it or whatever netflix has the rights for a film and it's literally true because i was like what like i oh my god i'm so mad i'm actually mad about this because again like this film could have really 
been something for both of them. And I'm not saying it won't, but it's just like, why why does Netflix have to ruin everything when it comes to like original films? This could have, I feel like if marketed correctly and in the in the hands of like a competent like distribution studio, this could have actually made made money, first of all, not had a limited release and like had a long theatrical release and it would have and i'm gonna assume the the budget for this film isn't even that big so again like with the correct marketing it could have been like a hit a box office hit and so now knowing that netflix is like gonna be responsible for the theatrical distribution it just i feel like it's gonna kind of be like one of those movies that's kind of come comes and goes on netflix like i always think of well, here's the thing. The difference between the movie I'm about to talk about and the and Hitman is that Linklater is a competent director and the directors of this film that I'm about to say aren't. But anyways, I always think of The Gray Man and I'm like, they always say that a hundred billion people watched it and I know that's not the truth because because no like that's not the way it works like it's it's so forgettable it like cost 100 million to make it looks like shit and it's just like they're kind of notorious for again making these films come and go and i know at the end of the day like netflix wasn't necessarily didn't necessarily have a hand in the creation of this film but the fact that they bought the they have like the rights to it it just leaves a really bad taste in my mouth and i don't necessarily know if it's going to hold the same weight now in the hands of Netflix that it would have somewhere else. So, I don't know. But that's kind of why I wanted to connect those that the question to this piece of news. Um, okay, whatever. Whatever. I'm not mad. I'm not mad. I am. Uh, let's move on to... Yeah, let's move on. So, Wes Anderson, he was actually talking about what he was doing like pre-WGA strike. Uh, he said that he actually finished working on a script with Roman Coppola. And he said that Michael Sarah and Benicio del Toro, I've always pronounced it Benicio, but I don't know if that's correct. <sighs> Me versus names. Um, yeah, so Benicio del Toro, yeah, uh, yeah, and Michael Sarah <laughs> are set to star of the film. I I think I wanted just to mention this because I feel like it's I think like Michael Sarah would be really good in a Wes Anderson film and like now thinking of it I don't know why he wasn't previously in a Wes Anderson film so I think that if the script is good <laughs> if the script is good I think it'll work uh, Wes has kind of been in the news a lot lately because like he, he's been dropping a lot of like trailers recently I feel like. I feel like Wes is kind of becoming more and more prolific in the sense that, like, he's just always creating. And I feel like recently he's created a lot. He's always kind of been like that. But, like, when you look at it, like, his filmography, like, he has a lot of movies. And I feel like it might start just, like, ramping. It might be, like, ramping up. Um, I loved Asteroid City. Like, honestly, probably top three Wes. And I didn't necessarily expect that going into it. But it was it ruled it ruled um so yeah i'm excited for this project obviously and so it's cool to know that like the script was finished and of, of course like i'm sure that once the the strike ends they're gonna like go back and like edit it and stuff like that but it's cool to know that it was finished 
And let's move on to some... I don't even want to call cast news, but anyways. Uh, yeah, so... I, I, um... I, I, what the hell am I saying? So anyways, uh, Renate Ransva, uh, she's actually reuniting with Worst Person in the World director Trier, of course. So yeah, so they're actually reuniting for this film, um, which, it, which it's, it's called Sentimental Value, and it's a father-daughter drama. It follows Renate's, uh, character Nora, who's an actor, and her sister Agnes, and their mother, their, their mother, their mother has just, uh, passed away and then their father Gustav reappears in their lives and yeah so he was once a celebrated filmmaker and he has written a script for kind of like a comeback film and he offers the main role to his daughter Nora played by of course Renate and yeah I, I think it's really cool I don't know I kind of don't like when actors work with the same director over and over and over again like I i'm fine with them collabing every once in a while but like it kind of becomes annoying at a certain point like when it's like more than two movies that's just my opinion but anyways so yeah i think this is like their second time working together so it's not that bad and plus like they're not there, like in the quote-unquote like north american yeah in the north american landscape like she is kind of still like a fresh um um yeah, like a fresh uh figure so it's not like that annoying yet but anyways i think i i really like the premise of this film that's definitely i don't know it definitely seems like something that's like right up my alley what else do i want to say about this i i mean like this is definitely a controversial opinion but like the worst person in the world was not for me at all like i did not enjoy it i which is interesting because usually i love those kinds of films but i literally gave it a two and a half and again, I understand that, that that is, like, kind of a shitty way to look at film. Like, the whole, like, star rating and stuff like that. But it's just, like, it did not work for me. Most of the people I know love it. And I just did not... It didn't click for me. It just, like, something about it didn't work. And honestly, I feel like the the thing is... It, it's definitely, like, my fault. Because I went into it thinking it was going to focus mostly on her. And in a way, it does. It just... It was definitely, like, relationship-focused. Like, romantic relationship-focused. And I didn't like that. And it just... Like, her, her life definitely, like, revolved around these relationships. And I understand that that's sort of the point. But it just, it again, it didn't work for me. Which, like, is cool. Whatever. We move. Um, but them working together is definitely going to be interesting. I hope I like this one more. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's cool to see. It will be cool to see what they bring to this film together by working together again. Again, it's called Sentimental Value. Um, honestly, like, now that I'm thinking of it, I probably should have spoken about this earlier, but, uh, yeah, American Fiction. It is a film directed by Cord Jefferson. It was at the, it premiered at the, uh, Toronto International Film Festival, so of course, TIFF. It won what is often considered, I don't want to say the prestigious award, but it's the People's Choice Award, so of course, fans get to uh, vote for their favorite film and it won that award which is I think really really cool I'm thinking of what won last year I'm gonna assume it was the Fablemans yeah it was the Fablemans um which slay but anyways American Fiction it follows Jeffrey Wright's character who Jeffrey Wright is getting a lot of buzz for his performance like 
Oscar buzz and I hate talking about a horse season as I've mentioned a million times but yeah like his performance is definitely getting a lot of buzz um I he might be getting his first Oscar nomination for it that's what I've been hearing from a lot of people who know more about that stuff than I do and yeah he plays a college professor who um I guess I guess he writes a book and then like publishers or whatever are saying that it's not quote-unquote black enough and then he, I think under a pseudonym he writes a a very stereotypical outrageous book about black life as a joke but then that book becomes a bestseller and there's a there's an actual book that kind of I'm forgetting the name and I'm forgetting who wrote it but my professor mentioned it once and it kind of has that same vibe and yeah I I, I think it's an interesting film to win people's choice award because yeah I don't know for some reason I was thinking that Hitman would have won it because I know that the Hitman screenings were like sold out but I, I didn't really like know uh I knew about American fiction but I didn't know that it was also th- that popular amongst audiences um and the reason being is that I I yeah, like I've heard, I heard that the rush line, which is basically like, after tickets are sold, you can line up in the rush line, and if there's seats, you can be let into the theater. Yeah, so for the rush line, uh, allegedly, like it just like wrapped around the block for for this film, and so it's really really cool that you know, it it has the attention that it's getting. Um, I'm really excited to see it. I. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I love a good, like, performance, obviously, but I really, really love movies about writers for obvious reasons. Um, a lot of the times they can, they can kind of become, how do I say this? Like, caricatures in the sense that it, it definitely feels as though the writer, like, the, the character, I should say, is a quote-unquote fake writer and obviously in a way they are because they're a character but it just doesn't feel realistic and I'm not saying that realism needs to be something to be expected in film but when you are you know showcasing a film that is supposed to be realistic and then your character feels like a caricature of a writer that kind of pissed me off but knowing that that's not the case for this film is really exciting and you know like it does come across as a little satirical, especially knowing that, like, the book itself is kind of just, like, this stereotypical thing that he wrote, uh, the character wrote, and, yeah, it becomes a bestseller. I'm really interested in that premise, and so, of course, for those reasons, I'm excited for American fiction, and so, yeah, it won the People's Choice Award at, uh, People's Choice Award at TIFF. Uh, really interesting project to win this, but, yeah, Corey Jefferson is the director and uh yeah I'm really really happy that it's been as successful as as it has been so I'm gonna end it with uh at least the news portion of this uh this episode I'm gonna end it with uh talking about something else that had its world premiere at TIFF so The Peasants is directed by DK Welchman and Hugh Welchman they are a husband wife uh directing duo they're known for loving this Vincent where um yeah their their films like every frame is painted and The Peasants I I honestly just wanted to bring some attention to it because we need movies like this like wholly creative and so yeah i just wanted to like talk a little bit about it and since it had its its premiere at tiff i thought it would be fitting um so yeah it is adapted 
from a Polish Nobel Prize winning novel by Ladislaw, I believe that's how you pronounce it, Ladislaw uh, Raymont. So this is a Polish author. Uh, it was released in four parts from 1904 to 1909. And yeah, it just follows a young uh Polish peasant who marries an older rich man and yeah I don't know I, I think I think the reason that I'm like really interested in this is that there's a lot of um there I think the trailer was going around on Twitter and like idiots um you know dumb people were like this is AI look how beautiful this is and then everyone's like no you fucking rocks for brain like it is a film where every frame is painted and everything is painted and yeah exactly it's like loving vincent and uh that is just an incredible film um stylistically and yeah so it's like painted animated whatever and that's kind of what the peasants is as well and so whenever this film has like a release in theaters I i'm there i'm there so uh yeah hopefully it has i feel like tiff if like uh, Bell Lightbox will probably be playing it. I'm really interested in like just being able to see it on a big screen because Loving Vincent, I watched it at home on my TV, which that's fine. But I am I, I really want to see it on a big screen, like being able to see something like this on a big screen. I feel like that. Anyways, I feel like that... Uh... I, I feel like that would just be a really good experience. So yeah, uh, it's adapted from the novel and it follows a young peasant who marries an older rich man. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a, it's so cool how like you can get something that, you know, it it is like kind of like this basic, I don't want to say basic, that, that's wrong word, wrong word, but like this concept that is just kind of like a a, a drama and being able to adapt in this sort of animated paint style and bringing something else to the story through the visualization is really really cool um so shout out to the welchman directors um uh this is the part of the episode of course where we we being me uh rant and yeah just a uh, rant about whatever a film that we want to talk about um something good bad can be one of our favorites but anyways i i was thinking of just sticking with kind of sort of the tiff kind of sort of uh the tiff theme this week and uh yeah i yeah uh, uh basically like what am i saying since sylvester stallone was having his like in conversation with and his documentary was premiering at tiff i thought i would kind of talk about he had also had some of his paintings there as well. I would talk about Rocky, which I don't know. I think it really is just like the blueprint for sports movies. I feel like after Rocky, there's been just like an influx of sports movies that kind of follow the same formula. And even like the Rocky movies themselves are very formulaic and kind of feel like just repetitions of the original Rocky. But what's really important about the Rocky film is that it's literally like 2% boxing and then the rest is about the character and it's about like the drive he has and the motivations he has and his personal relationships to his his like girlfriend and his like friends and yeah just like the 
the state of living that he lives in, you know, like that kind of thing. And it just, I don't know, it, it kind of just like redefined what it meant to, went to, what it meant, sorry, what it meant to be a sports movie. And I don't necessarily think we'll ever get that again. Like a lot of sports movies are just like so boring or just so dull, but Rocky is like really special in that sense. It's honestly like one of my favorites. Five stars on Letterboxd. Um, yeah, and it just, it it did something that wasn't has never been replicated and probably will never be replicated. And although it spawned a franchise and although it spawned like a spinoff, at the end of the day, I feel like the movie as its own is so special. And although I love, like, I love the Creed movies. I love a lot of the Rocky movies. It kind of felt like, I don't know, like, to me, it's kind of one of those movies where I'm like, is this necessary? But whatever, it happened. The franchise happened. The spinoffs happened. But yeah, um, I have the, I have the Rocky game on F Xbox. Um, Fun fact, but no, yeah, like, uh, it's really, really cool. Um, I, I, I just really, really love the film. It's definitely like, it has an insane rewatch value. Like I can rewatch it over and over and over again. Um, it's just so captivating and like Stallone's performance in it is honestly perfect. Like his line delivery is just insane. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't exactly know what happened in his other films, but like that movie is just like, he was like amazing in it and so yeah i just wanted to talk about it i feel like it's a movie that everyone needs to watch <laughs> i say about a lot of movies but it is kind of just a classic and i really really love it and yeah so of course we're coming to an end this is the part of the yeah this is just like the ending of the the episode where i shout out a movie that's going to be dropping in theaters so again i'm i think i'm just going to be sticking with the tiff theme um so the 40th anniversary of stop making sense uh is this year and so it's kind of having a re-release and it's actually in imax theaters this weekend and then next weekend it's going to have a wider release i think maybe a more like uh yeah, just like regular theaters, if you will. Um, so, of course, this is the Talking Heads um, concert film. Uh, it took, it, it was shot over three nights at Hollywood's uh, Pantages, I think, Pantages, I think that's how you pronounce it, theater. Uh, so, in December of 1983. So, of course, it's having its 40th anniversary. A24 has the rights for the re-release, I believe. So, yeah, uh, you know, it's it's going to be big. Um and yeah, so the group during this tour was promoting their album Speaking in Tongues. It's a classic. Um, it is directed by Jonathan Dem, who directed arguably one of the best movies of all time. And that is Silence of the Lambs. So um, yeah, anyways, it just, it, it's so cool that we're getting this re-release and you know, they, uh, there's a lot of, like, young Talking Heads fans that obviously weren't alive when this album dropped and when this movie dropped. So it's just cool to have this re-release and, uh, yeah, just being able to watch it in a theater filled with, like, other Talking Heads fans is really cool. And so if you're into that kind of thing, if you're into concert films, definitely go check it out. I think seeing an IMAX would be really special. I don't even, I know Talking Heads songs. I just don't. It's not that I don't care. It's just like, it's like, okay, well, I'm not a fan. So, um, like, it's not, they're not like one of my favorite bands or anything. 
but I feel like it's a concert film, so I'm still going to be really, really excited to see it either way. Um, and yeah, so that's going to be in theaters this weekend. Check it out. Uh, I know it was kind of huge at TIFF because the band reuniting after so many years of like not and uh, not being together and also like all the personal stuff that they had going on, uh, like the personal like riffs and stuff that caused the band to break up. I think I was just really far away from my mic when I was talking that whole time. Sorry. But anyways, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it, it's really cool to have this film be re-released. And I, I'm noticing a trend of like, I really, how do I say this? We need to stop making sequels and instead what we need to do for classic films. This isn't, this is kind of off topic, but not really. Like there'll, there'll be a connection, but it's like instead of making sequels for classic films, we should just, after a certain amount of time, pre-release them in theaters because that'll get people to the theater, even if it is for an older film, like it's still going to end up making money. Um, so yeah, um, check it out stop making sense, re-release. Um, so thanks for listening. This is, might be a longer episode. Mm, not really. Once I edit it, it won't, it won't be that long. But um, thanks for listening to my TIFF trauma dump. I think that might be the title of the episode. Um, but I'm, I'm just really, really, yeah. Anyways, I'm like really happy that TIFF happened this year, despite everything. I hope that next year it's a little bit bigger and larger just for the fans. And uh what else do i want to say yeah the th thanks uh check out a movie in a theater this weekend um i